Well, as we open up God's word this morning, what we're going to be talking about is the impossible made possible. This is going to come directly from one of the verses in this passage that for God, nothing is impossible. And Christmas season is actually a really interesting time if you watch kids in particular, that there's something in us that's innate to when we're young, physically young, to believe in impossible things. I mean, case in point, hopefully I'm not ruining this for any of the teenagers in this room, but, but look at a kid's sincere belief in things like Santa Claus, for those of us who, who allow our kids and have that tradition in our families to believe and to sincerely believe in something that is impossible. How could one man travel the earth and deliver presents and go down houses that don't even have chimneys, right? But yet many have sincerely believed this. You yourself may remember a time when you were younger where you sincerely believed this impossible thing. I'm reminded of my, my own daughter. We have fun letting our kids be imaginative and, and believe in Santa Claus. And we sent her to school in, in first grade. And many of her other first grade students did not share that belief any longer and tried to win her over to their side. And she, um, during that time, kind of became a, a Santa apologist. And it was actually quite amusing. One of her responses to her friends was, you really think your parents get you all those gifts? That is ridiculous. Um, and I just found that very, very amusing. But there is something in us, the way that God has wired us to believe and to believe like a child. Christ would, would commend us to have faith like a child, to come to him with that sincere trust, to believe even what would seem impossible. Now, we know that the stories of Santa and delivering the presents are not true. And some of us, as we've grown out in that faith, may have been led to believe that everything surrounding Christmas is not true. And putting your faith in Jesus, this baby that is born, is just as impossible as believing in Santa. Well, friends, let me tell you this morning that God has made the impossible possible because of Jesus. And so that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. Making the impossible possible, believing the impossible. We're going to be looking at three points in particular as we look at Luke chapter 1. Believing the impossible, looking at God's impossible or unlikely choice in terms of the birth story of Jesus, particularly his choosing of Mary to bear his son. And believing the impossible, God's promises are indeed fulfilled, even when it looked like they never would be. And lastly, believing the impossible, that God is with us. And so let us open up to Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. And I would ask, if you are willing and able to please stand for the reading of God's word this morning, I will begin in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at this saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. 
And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called, called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is the word of God this morning. You may be seated. And so this is a familiar story to many of us. Whether you've had a habit of attending church or not, you're probably familiar with this story, this great announcement of the birth of Jesus and God's choice of Mary to be the mother of our Lord. I want to take some time to go through this story, whether you've heard these things before and simply need to be encouraged to the reminder whether you're coming to these things for the very first time. But let us consider this first point as we're called to believe the impossible. And one of the things that I find impossible in this text, or at least extremely unlikely, that ought to strike us is God's choice of Mary. To use Mary to bring our Savior, His Son, God, into the world. Look with me at this text. Verse 26 says, In the sixth month, the angel, uh, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee, to a city of Galilee, Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. So here we are introduced to really this girl who was essentially a nobody. Someone prior to this who was of little to any significance culturally in that time. One of the things that many have pointed out is the fact that Mary is living in Nazareth, a place of very little importance and of kind of a bad reputation. If you even knew of Nazareth, you knew that it was not a place very special. In fact, Jesus later, when he's being introduced to one of his disciples, and he's being told that this is a man from Nazareth. His disciple Nathan responds this way in John 1, 46. Nathaniel said to him, can anything good come out of, Na- out of Nazareth? And so this place is a place of little importance, even bad reputation. And then here is this young girl at Nazareth giving this profound announcement. And it says Mary is betrothed, meaning she's engaged in engagements at this time where we're a little different than we do here, that to be engaged, you could actually already in some ways be called the wife of this person. That the engagement process was typically a year, it was a betrothal process, but in many ways it was just as solemn of a commitment as a person's marriage. And so she was a young girl, probably in her teens, many think that she was 13, and this was her future in life, to be the husband of this man, Joseph, until this day came, where the angel Gabriel comes and makes this profound announcement to her. In verse 30, it says, The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Mary has found favor with God. This can be a difficult text to understand, and I will confess that there are some who misunderstand this. There are whole traditions that misunderstand this. Why did God choose Mary? The whole Catholic Church in their teaching was that Mary 
had found favor, meaning she had earned this privilege through her own righteous acts. Catholic Church has even gone so far to teach in the sinless nature of Mary, that she had earned this favor from God. But what I want you to understand this morning is that Mary had found favor before God like many others in the, in the Old Testament had found previously by the grace of God. We're going to look to Mary as an example of faith and obedience. We don't want to completely disacknowledge that, but don't be confused that Mary earned this privilege through her own action. She found favor. She found grace before God. This announcement is an announcement of grace. Like many that have gone before her, there are others who were shown similar favor from God in the Old Testament. I think of individuals like Moses, like David, and we even read of Noah, almost in the exact same light here in this passage. If you would look with me very briefly at Genesis 6-8, if you recall, God had created the whole earth, sin was running rampant, and God was preparing to destroy the earth because of sin, but God also chose to use Noah to basically do a divine do-over. And Genesis 6-8 says, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. It's not a claim of sinlessness on Noah's part, nor has anybody taught that in the past, but yet we see many teach that out of this text here. No, it's by the grace of God that Mary was used in this manner to bear the Lord Jesus. It comes from this principle in Exodus 33, 19, of God's free, gracious actions towards men. God spoke this way in the Old Testament. It's repeated many times in the New Testament, but let me read from Exodus 33, 19. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And so we do not look at Mary as an example as how to receive favor from God, how to earn favor from God. But what I will say is we can look to Mary as an example of how to respond to God's favor that he has shown towards us freely and graciously. If I could, after this grand announcement, which we'll, we'll talk about the details of, but this angel comes and appears before Mary, makes this announcement that not only are you pregnant, but that your son is the fulfillment of all my promises. That he will be heir to the throne of David. He will be called son of the most high. He essentially, as we've come to understand, it will be God with us. Mary didn't understand this. She asked how this will happen. But yet at the very end of it, if you look at verse 38, giving this, this great news, this startling news, she says to the Lord, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be done according to your word. And the angel departed from her. As I said, let's not throw the baby out like a bathwater. There have been many traditions and practices that have made too much of Mary. But nevertheless, her faith is commendable. In the same way that the faith of others is commendable. Think of the Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11. People that we look to as examples to follow in the faith. Mary, in many ways, belongs in that same company. We can gloss over her situation all too quickly. That she would receive this news while being betrothed to another man. She would be pregnant. A miraculous conception, remaining a virgin and yet being with child, who would believe this impossible news? 
And yet she obediently submits to this great news in her life. I am a servant of the Lord. May it be done according to his will. She expressed her faith and trust in this gracious God, even to her own detriment. The sin of adultery within this time and, and as part of Jewish law was punishable even up to death. And if not for that, at the very least, she would be shamed. She would be social outcast. She could be dismissed by her husband and forever live in that shame. But she still chose to believe in this message that was from the Lord. Let it be done according to your word. Very difficult situation, but very commendable faith. Faith that is believing in this impossible news that God had given her. So my question for us this morning, as we look to the example of Mary in this regard, how many of us in difficult situations can say those very same words, let it be done according to your word? We may not be faced with something as difficult as Mary, but you and I are often faced with difficult choices. To go according to God's word, or my own, or the pressures of this world. You may have opportunity to compromise on your Christian principles for some selfish gain of yours. Will you respond by saying, let it be done according to your word? You may be tempted to take part in sinful activities to fit in and be liked by others. Will you respond, let it be done according to your word? It may be that in order to do the right thing, it would cost you greatly put you at physical harm to be at great cost financially, maybe even emotionally and spiritually, can we respond with the same faith that Mary demonstrates here? Let it be done according to your word. Believing in the promises of God, even when they sin, impossible. It's probably nothing you can face that would be more difficult than the news and the reality that Mary was given by the angel Gabriel but you will be faced with many challenges in your life. My hope is that through God's grace and his spirit within you, that you can utter those very same words as Mary, servant of the Lord. Let it be done according to your word. Let us also be reminded to remain humble as well. I, I made particular points here that, that Mary, although she is commendable, she did not commend herself to God. Right, we just read in our catechism, who can keep God's law perfectly? Nobody. Is there anyone righteous? No, not one, but God is gracious. And he has poured out your grace upon you. And so respond to that grace in a humble nature. Do not be fooled that you have earned God's grace through your obedience. That'll lead to pride and you will be puffed up and you'll be led astray. And there was probably much opportunity to take pride to be led astray in Mary's own life, I mean, she was the mother of Jesus. And yet, we see her humble nature throughout, that God was gracious to her, and that she was but a humble servant of the Lord. May our hearts and attitude be the same as well. May we remain in a humble posture before our heavenly Father. And so we see here God's impossible choice, or unlikely choice, in using this young girl like Mary. And there's much to be believed there. To put our faith and trust in him, let things be done according to his word most of all, and to remain humble as we walk in his love and grace. 
Let us now consider the other impossible elements of this passage. Believing the impossible, which was God's promises are finally fulfilled. You see, this news that Mary had received is to be understood by Mary and all those who read it that the Savior is here. The angel Gabriel is making this very, very clear. That this long-awaited Messiah, this long-awaited promised one who is going to make all things right for God's people once again, his birth is being announced. And it's understood that this birth is the birth of the Messiah. That this is the one that the people of Israel and all God's people have been waiting for. Even since Genesis. Think back to when Adam and Eve sinned. And God promised in Genesis 3.15 that there would be a seed from the woman who would crush the head of the serpent. This is his birth announcement. Think to the prophecies of Daniel. Of one like a son of man coming from the clouds. That this is that person. With all that power and might. The promise is found at the end of Deuteronomy that there will be a prophet greater than Moses who is coming one day. Here is the birth announcement of that prophet. And noted specifically in this text, heir to the throne of David, and his kingdom will never end. Verses 32 and 33 of this chapter, the angel announces that this is that person. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. One of the promises that God's people at this time were looking forward to the most was this one, the promise of a Davidic ruler, a Davidic king. You see, in the life of David, God gave him a special promise. He made a covenant with him. That covenant is recorded in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And I want to take a moment to review with you this morning. It should be on the screen behind me, verses 12 through 16. This is the promise that's recorded here. This is the promise that the people of God will waiting to see fulfilled. When the days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who will come eat from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the son of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established Forever. This is a promise that a descendant of David would rule on his throne forever. This is a promise that the people of God had been waiting to see fulfilled for a long, long time. You see, at the time this, this birth is announced, there is no one on the throne. In fact, there is no kingdom to be had. The people of Israel are living under the rulership of foreigners, the Roman government. God has not even uttered a, a word to his people in roughly 500 years. And those who had looked to the scriptures and, and become familiar with these promises are probably beginning to wonder, will these promises ever 
be fulfilled. It seems impossible. But here we see the impossible, possible, being announced. Jesus' parents were from the line of David. We see most notably Joseph, who is from the house of David. But many believe Mary to also share in that lineage in a roundabout way, in a layer to genealogy in Luke chapter 3. That this Davidic covenant, this Davidic promise, that God will give his people peace from all their nations, from a ruler, a descendant of David, that God will send a king whose kingdom will reign forever, never to be conquered, and that God will be his father in this king, will be his son, is finding its fulfillment, finally, in Jesus. After 500 years of silence, what was starting to feel impossible is now looking like it might indeed be possible. But waiting for these things is hard. And I'm sure it was harder for Mary and many others. They shared in our lack of patience. We don't like waiting for things as simple as traffic lights or things to heat up in the microwave. But yet waiting for promises that you so desperately want to see fulfilled can be sometimes the hardest. This is something that I try to teach my kids, right? And I promise that we'll, we'll do fun activities or we'll do this after I finish this work and for a child now or it feels like forever. They begin to doubt that promise all too quickly. But the same is true of you and I, that when someone promises certain things to you and it takes time, it's easy to begin to doubt those promises, let alone when that time spans and it's hundreds of years from the dawn of creation that God would send us a deliverer. But yet here we have the impossible promises of God being fulfilled right before our eyes. And that's what I want to encourage you with this morning, that God does indeed fill his promises. It may not be according to our timetable. In fact, often it is not. But if God has said he will do something, he will indeed it. And what God has promised us most of all is a Savior, is Jesus, that Jesus has come, that our sins have been forgiven, that we can believe that without any doubt. Not only that, Jesus has come and he is coming again. You see, we still are in a season of waiting, are we not? They were waiting for Jesus' first coming, for the Savior's first coming, and we are waiting for his second. And it may be easy, and it may be tempting to lose hope even now. Will Christ ever return? I'm tired. I'm tired of the struggles that I face here in this life. I'm tired of the brokenness that I see in this world. It's been thousands of years. Will Christ ever come again? And the answer, my friends, is yes. Do not lose hope. Do not lose faith. Christ is coming. God fulfills his promises. Second Corinthians one twenty, the Apostle Paul likes this. For all the promises of God find their yes in him, in Jesus. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. These impossible promises that you and I are waiting for are indeed yes and amen in Christ Jesus, that you will stand before him if you've been united to him in faith, and he will say, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master. Let's not lose hope in these things. 
Lastly, believing the impossible that God is with us. God is with us. Still even more impossible than God's choice in choosing Mary or waiting for his promises to be filled is this reality that he would dwell with us in the flesh. That even as we looked to these promises in the Old Testament, nobody at this time was expecting that this person would actually be God. God become a man, but that is clearly what we see already alluded to and taught here in this passage. Let it be clear that this announcement is meant to be understood that this promised child of Jesus would be God in the flesh. Look with me once again at verse 32. The angel says, He will be called the Son of the Most High. Only God was the Most High. He would be the Son of the Most High. Verse 33, He will reign forever, and for His kingdom there will be no end. It doesn't say that He or one of His descendants will reign forever. It says He will reign forever. He will live forever. He will reign forever. And then most notably in verse 35, this child will be called holy, the son of God. And here I want to spend just a, a little bit of time on the importance of a key doctrine within the Christian faith that relates to this nature that Jesus is the son of God. God become flesh. And this is closely tied with the idea of the virgin verse, the reality and the truth of the virgin birth, that this is essential to your and my faith. Many, for whatever reason, as of recently, even within the church, have called this teaching into question. That was Mary truly a virgin? Could this text simply be translated young girl instead of virgin? Because how could a virgin ever become pregnant? It doesn't make sense. In fact, it didn't make sense to Mary. That's why she asked in verse 34, how will this be since I am a virgin? You see, this is something that is essential to our faith for a number of reasons. We must believe in the reality of the virgin birth. First and foremost, this passage clearly teaches it. Verse 35 speaks of how God would do this. When Mary asks, how will this be since I'm a virgin? The angel says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. And Jesus, in many ways, was conceived through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary, and God created this human life, Jesus, God in the flesh, in the womb, miraculously. This passage teaches this. To not believe in it is to not believe what God's word says. And this isn't the only place it's supported, but it's also, and this is the second point, it's the fulfillment of prophecy that God, although maybe not as clearly, but as we'll find out next week when we look at this story from the perspective of, of Joseph, that God's word had predicted this or prophesied this in Isaiah 7, 14. Isaiah spoke, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and she shall call his name Emmanuel, meaning God, with us. And so we have it as the clear teaching in Scripture. And if we question 
the virgin birth simply because it's too miraculous, too impossible. And what else must we question within the scriptures? You see, God being God has the ability to make the impossible possible. That's why, verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. And I admit this is hard to believe. So much so that, that God even assisted through his grace Mary in believing this by having Elizabeth be pregnant in her old age. It says, And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, her son being John the Baptist. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. And so to help in Mary's own faith, he uses the example of Elizabeth in her life, that God has helped Elizabeth in her old age become pregnant. And so now you must believe that though you are a virgin, that God is giving you this child, this promised Savior. So the question of the virgin birth, what else gets put on the chopping block? Harder to believe than immaculate conception than, say, the resurrection. Christ rising from the dead. All we talk about in Corinthians, if we don't believe in the resurrection, then all hope is lost and our faith is in vain. Could we believe in the miracles of Jesus, that he's able to speak and calm a storm, touch and heal a person, cast out demons? Could we believe in miracles such as in the Old Testament of the parting in the Red Sea, or is that some sort of fable? Jonah being in the belly of a fish, or God creating everything by the power of his word? Maybe even the existence of God altogether. No, we take God's word by faith to be 100% true in all matters in which it speaks. And it does indeed speak to this, that Jesus was born of a virgin. And this was not by accident. I believe that this was very intentional. Because Jesus being born of a virgin could truly be called the Son of God. That he would have God as his Father. Jesus is the only Son of God. You'll hear this thrown out from time to time in, in the secular world of we're all children of God. And I would actually push back on that if I were you. That not all people are children of God. We all share as image bearers of God. We are all created in God's image. But only those who are united to Christ in faith have the privilege of being called a son or daughter of our Heavenly Father. And it's only because Jesus Christ was first and uniquely the Son of God. That as we enter in a relationship with him, we enter into the family of God and share in his privileges as sons and daughters. I see a beautiful parallel between Jesus' birth and our new birth into God's family. We see here in verse 35 how Jesus is born by the Spirit, that the Spirit overshadowed Mary, that his life was formed, that God became flesh even within that one. Well, you and I, if we want to be sons and daughters of God, we also need to be born of the Spirit. And this is what Jesus would go on to teach later in the Gospel of John to a man named Nicodemus. Jesus, in talking to this person, Nicodemus, in John chapter 3, when he's asking, how can someone enter into the kingdom of heaven? Jesus answered, 
He said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. This is the passage where we get this idea of born-again Christians. And to experience salvation, to trust in Jesus, is to be born again. That God's Spirit has done a work in your heart that you can be united with Christ through faith and be a son or daughter of God by grace through faith. And so it's essential that we see Jesus as a unique son of God. His virgin birth testifies to this. And through our faith in him, you and I are invited to become sons or daughters of God as well. He was born in the spirit miraculously so that you and I could be born again through the spirit again, according to faith. It's interesting. Think about Mary in this situation. What a unique perspective she would have. That she would give birth, literally, to the Lord Jesus. And yet she would need to be born again as well as she put her faith and trust in him. And so let this be an invitation for any in this room today to be born again as we consider this birth announcement of Jesus Christ, that this baby whose birth is announced, who on Christmas would be born, who would grow into a man, never commit any sin in his life, the only one to keep God's law perfect, would go to a cross, would suffer the punishment that you and I deserve. Punishment far greater than what we were able to physically witness on the cross. The invisible wrath of God being poured out on him for you. That through your faith in him as your Savior, as this promised one, as the Son of God, your guilt could be put on him and punished, and his obedience, his righteousness can be laid on you. And you could be welcomed as a son or daughter. The most impossible thing in this story is that a holy God could have fellowship with sinful people like you and I. But the impossible is indeed possible through Christ. This is what Jesus came to do. This is why he was born. And it's impossible for us to earn favor and to commend ourselves before God, but this child would make it possible for us, God in the flesh. And so as we close our time this morning, I want to pray. And part of my prayer is going to be an invitation for any in this room who have yet to come to Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins, who have yet to put their trust in him, that you would do that now. And that maybe as service concludes, we could have a brief conversation of how we can encourage you and walk alongside you as brothers and sisters in Christ. Help you know this Jesus all the more now that you've come to trust him as your Savior. So let us go and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you indeed, you indeed did make the impossible possible. The reconciliation of sinners 
God, that you would remain just and that you do indeed punish sin, but you punish it in Jesus instead of us. And that you give us your spirit and we share in fellowship with you, a wonderful, perfect, righteous, holy God. Lord, in many ways, these truths are too wonderful for us to comprehend. This news of Jesus in this text is too wonderful for us to understand. It's too beautiful. God, help us to believe it and to be encouraged by it. Lord, I pray for any here and come to this service this morning, not knowing you, Jesus, as our Savior, not knowing about your birth and all that it meant, not knowing about your life, not knowing about your death, that you would make it clear through your Spirit working in their heart that you are the Son of God, the Savior of the world, God become flesh, and that they would put their whole faith and trust in you now by faith. And so, Father, we all thank you for forgiveness that we share in Christ. May we walk in such a way that is honoring to you, that is glorifying to you, with thankful hearts full of gratitude, because the grace that you shall master your son. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.